Okay, welcome back. We're going to head into lesson four right now. And we're going to talk about discipleship for a few minutes here. Come on, Steve. It's not going to be a long lesson. I know that we're getting hungry. I know that we have things to do. Uh, but I want to share a little bit from the Gospel of Mark about Jesus and the cross and talk about discipleship. And here's the main point of this. This is the big idea, what I want you to really get from this. And that is, there is no discipleship without a cross. There's no discipleship. I started it. There's no discipleship without a cross. So, um, the thing to be said about sacrifice and suffering uh, forming us into the image of Christ. Because even we see in Christ's life how much he gave for other people and how he surrendered himself to God. And by surrendering his life to God, was able to live for other people. And he challenges us to do the same thing. None of us want to suffer. It's not something we go after. We don't, we don't go after uh, you know, a pain. We don't go after, I'm going to have a really, really difficult day today. That's my goal for the day. That today's going to be the most difficult day of my life. We don't wake up in the morning. Hopefully you don't wake up in the morning uh, thinking that. Um, but if you're going to follow Jesus, there are going to be some struggles. There just are. It's going to come your way, whether you want them or not. Because that's part of taking up the cross. That's a daily decision. Right. And you have to surrender to Jesus. So we grow through that, though. What kind of Messiah was Jesus? This was a question that the disciples were asking as he came and he proclaimed himself to be a Messiah, to be king. They wanted to be him to be a Messiah that was going to ride in on a white horse with a, a sword in his right hand. And on this white horse with this sword, take, the, take care of all the Romans and cleanse the land of them. No more oppression, no more occupation of the land. Give them Judea back to the Jews and then reign like King David reigned on his throne. And then sort of advance the borders uh, of their nation to ultimately conquer the Mediterranean world. And this was the mindset that they had. There was going to be a physical kingdom and all of the blessings would be very physical, but Jesus was a very, very different Messiah than that. He was a spiritual Messiah. And he came and not to give people uh, the type of prosperity that they were looking for, or even that you see taught and preached in some churches today. Churches that are prosperity gospel churches or happiness churches. That if you follow Jesus, you'll always be happy. Right. Well, there's, that can, there's, <laughs> to me, that is so outside of the Gospels. How can you even read the Gospels and come up with that type of thinking that it's all going to be happiness? It wasn't that way for Jesus. It wasn't that way in the book of Acts for his followers. It's not going to be that way today. There are going to be some struggles, but through the struggles we grow, and that's a good thing. Growth is a good thing. There's this section in Mark that begins with a blind man and ends with a blind man. And it's really brilliant how Mark pulls all of this together. And as you read the Gospels more and you read the biblical writers more, you've got to understand that, yes, they were inspired by God, but also they were geniuses. I mean, they were just people that were deeply theological, really brilliant thinkers and great writers. And I personally think Mark was the first Gospel that was written. And I think he created this genre of literature. And I think when you're reading the Gospel of Mark, you need to really appreciate that Mark is showing his genius as he writes this gospel and tells the story of Jesus. And even within the story, he weaves together the stories that are there about Jesus. And he, he, he really sort of uh, puts in brackets 
the story about the cross and discipleship by talking about the blind man of Bethsaida and blind Bartimaeus. And then between those two blind men show the struggle of the disciples with their spiritual blindness until they finally understood who Jesus was. And that is going to come with the trip into Jerusalem as Jesus then turns his face to die on the cross, turns his face toward Jerusalem in order to die. But look here in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. This is one of the three cities of the evangelical triangle, a fishing village in the first century. So people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and his eyes were open. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. This is often called the second touch of grace. Because Jesus touches the man, and he sees, but he doesn't see clearly. But he doesn't leave the man there. Because that's not what Jesus does. Instead, he touches the man again, again, and the man sees clearly. And we need to be grateful for this story of the second touch of grace. Because Jesus has done that with all of us in our lives. And how many of us saw Jesus clearly the first time we looked at him? And how many times this week have you needed that second touch of grace? Or that third touch of grace? I know in my life, I'm so grateful for the grace of God. And, uh, and really, really appreciate this grace. Because I, I, I mess up. And yet Jesus is always there to pick me up. And to dust me off. Put me back on my feet and say, keep going. Keep going. Keep walking the walk that you're trying to walk. But I trip. I stumble. There are times as a husband that I stumble. And I'm not who I need to be for my wife. There's times in which I say things I shouldn't say. Times in which I say things gruffly. And things say things with a harsh tone. And then I see that it hurts her. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that again. But then I fight. I fight to change that. I fight to be different. And Jesus is there with grace to help me to be different. Same thing with my kids. You know, there are times that I've, over the years, many times, that I stumbled with my children. That I'm so grateful that God gives me another chance. That Jesus gives me another chance. And the second touch of grace is an important thing. What you're going to see here is that just as Jesus here gives uh, the blind man of Isaiah a second touch of grace, he does that with his disciples over and over and over again. You're going to see three times Jesus is going to predict his, predict the cross. Three times he's going to predict his death on the cross. And each time the disciples miss it. But he doesn't give up on them. And I'm grateful for these stories because it shows me that I miss it as well, but Jesus does not give up on me. And I'm so, so grateful for that. The confession of Peter, right after this, verse 27. You guys with me? Yes. Yes. I'm going to read a few scriptures here and make a couple of points. Again, the big point is, is that there's no discipleship without the cross. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And so it looks like Jesus, that Peter's seen clearly here. You are the Messiah. It seems like he's getting it. But then you see in the very next statement, no, he doesn't get it. 
And Jesus has to give him that second touch of grace and help him out a bit. Let me just make a, a little footnote right here, a little side note right here. He's talking about Caesarea Philippi. This is in the northern part of Galilee. And it was uh, one of the sons of Herod built the city, named it in honor of Caesar. So it's named Caesarea Philippi or Caesar Philippi. And uh, if you read the Matthew account, it talks about the gates of Hades in that account. It talks about how uh, the, the church, the one time Matthew uses the word church uh, in his gospel. And it talks about how the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. And in the picture right here, you actually have on the screen uh, the gates of Hades. Uh, the archaeologists have dug there. And not only do you have that, but if you were to follow to the right, you can see a little bit of the white stones there. There were all these temples that were built to various Roman gods and Greek gods there. So there was the, the temple um, to, to Zeus, for example. And what they would do in the gate of Hades is they would use that as a, a place in which they would drop their sacrifices back into that. A stream flowed out of it. And if you looked and blood came through the water, then whatever you were asking for, whatever you were sacrificing for, it was going to be answered. You were going to get that. And so when Christ is saying, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, he's not just thinking about the underworld, but he's thinking about all the world religions as well. That there's, there's nothing that's going to be able to defeat the church. And you see over time that that's been proven true. But I love the fact that archaeologists have discovered this. It's right exactly where uh, it should be at the foot of Mount Hermon. And when I was in Israel... And I say this primarily for the teens. You know, teens, sometimes when you get into school, you start hearing, oh, the Bible's not true, and it's full of contradictions, and it doesn't really mesh with archaeology. But you need to really ask questions at that point. You need to say, well, show me a contradiction. Or show me where it doesn't mesh with archaeology. You know, you know show me that. Because I, I looked at over 50 archaeological sites when I lived in in Jerusalem, and I was working on my doctorate then, and that was part of what I was doing in my doctorate was some multimedia work with archaeologists. I talked to premier archaeologists in the land there, talked to people that did major digs in the land. And the beautiful thing about doing archaeology in, in Israel and in the Holy Land is when you read the Bible and you look at the archaeology, it just all comes together. You know, where Jerusalem was, it's still there today. The Sea of Galilee, it's still there today. Caesarea Philippi with the gates of Hades, still there today. The southern part of the Temple Mount, you know, you wonder how could 3,000 people be baptized on the day of Pentecost? They had baptismal pools. They called them mikvayot in the plural, a mikveh in the singular, where they would literally go and they would immerse themselves, the Jews would, before walking up into the temple. It was ready made for baptisms. It was ready-made for the Pentecost. And you see the, the, the burning of Rome and uh, that Jesus predicted was going to happen and the destruction. There's a layer that shows that, that it was burned in 70 AD. There are, there's Hezekiah's tunnel that's talked about and even how it was crafted uh, in the Bible and how they began at one end and began at the other end and sort of met in the middle. When you walk in Hezekiah's tunnel, that's exactly what you do. You start out, it's straight. You end it straight, but in the middle, they're looking for each other. These two teams are searching for each other. And so you start walking around like this when you get into the middle of that tunnel. Not only that, they found the engraving that's now in a museum in Turkey that said, this was built by Hezekiah. 
King Hezekiah of the Bible. And so, you know, when when I just want to let you know, archaeology of the Bible it really meshes together. The ge geography of the land in the Bible. Geography of the land has been called the fifth gospel. That's one of the reasons I want to take people over there. And I want to take young people over there so that they can put it in their memory and they yeah. can have it there. When they get in class, they can say, but you know what? I saw that. Yeah. It's not the way you're talking about right. it. That would be so cool, right? So anyway, that's, that's a little footnote. Let's get back to what we were, were talking about, about we here. Like <laughs> yeah. so, but you see here that, that Peter, he really doesn't understand. And so you get to the, this next part, and this is the first of the three predictions. And again, Jesus predicts three times each time they miss the point. And this first one is in, in, verse, in chapter 8. Look down in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's again his favorite title about himself, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. I love that. He didn't want them to be confused. He didn't want them to have that unclear sight, that unclear vision. This is a touch of grace that he's giving them here. He wants them to understand, I'm going to die. That's, that's what's going to happen to me. So he tells them plainly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He didn't see it. And so when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but many, merely human concerns. He gives them another touch of grace there. It's a hard thing that he says to them, but sometimes to Peter... But sometimes we need to hear those hard things because it helps us to see what we're missing. Peter was missing what Jesus was saying about the cross. And so he predicts the cross. They miss it. He describes the cross a little more in Mark 8, 34 through 9, 1. And also describes what discipleship is here. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, and this is important. Again, there is no discipleship without a cross. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me uh, and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Discipleship means following Jesus with a cross. There is struggle. There is sacrifice. There is surrender when we choose to be disciples. And it's also a daily choice that we make to take up that cross and follow. So if we're going to be a true follower of Jesus, there is a cross that's involved. That last slide was about the transfiguration. You can look at that. Let's look at the second prediction right now. It's in Mark chapter 9, down in verse 30. So the second prediction of the cross, and we'll see, well, maybe the disciples get it this time. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. And so they, he tries again to give them clear vision, but they just don't see it. To the fact that, to the point that, in verse 33, when you look at what happens next, they really, really don't get it. Because they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. This is right after he talks about he's going to die. And they're arguing about who's going to be greatest. 
They don't understand that discipleship is about self-sacrifice, self-denial, putting yourself last in order that Jesus might be first. It's about surrender. But again, Jesus doesn't give up on them. He keeps working with them. You know, if it were me at this point, I'd probably be like, okay, time to find another group of disciples. You know, this is enough here. Um, but he doesn't do that. And I'm grateful he doesn't do that in the text because he also hasn't done it with me. He hasn't done it with any of us. He keeps working with us, helping us to see. The third prediction is in Mark chapter 10. You can go back and read through all of this because all of this is really a great, uh, just great scriptures here. But in Mark 10, down in verse 32, they're on their way up to Jerusalem. So now they're getting closer to Jerusalem and closer to the Christ, to the cross rather, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. When they were going up to Jerusalem, he said, And the Son of Man, notice this, he even is more clear, more detailed with this third prediction. He will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Well, this is the third time. Surely they get it now. This is with more details than he's given before. Surely they catch those extra details. But look at what happens next. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right, the other on your left in glory. Don't you know what you're asking, Jesus said? Can you drink the cup I drink or be, or, or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can. I'm like, yeah, we got this. Go ahead. Give us your right and your left because we got this. But they didn't even know what they were asking for because his cup... And his baptism was the cup of suffering and the baptism of death and suffering. And Jesus does say, you will get that. Don't know what you're asking for, but you're going to get that cup. And you're going to get that baptism because if you're going to be my disciple. There is no discipleship without a cross. And then you look at the closing of this great section in the book of Mark. And it's the blind, blind Bartimaeus. So started with a blind man, blind man of Bethsaida, ends with the blind Bartimaeus. They came down to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Keep reading. As they approached Jerusalem, he came to Bethpage and Bethany. And what's going to happen to Jesus in Jerusalem? He's going to die. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. He follows along the road, or you could say along the way. You could translate it that way. He follows Jesus along the way, and the way of Jesus leads to a cross. And the blind man follows. He, he's like, I'm with you. Lead me, and I will follow you to Jerusalem where prophets die. Mm -hmm. He gets it. A blind man sees Jesus 
with clearer vision than his own disciples do. But here's the thing I so appreciate about Jesus. He doesn't give up on the knuckleheads. Because I'm a knucklehead. And I need for Jesus, don't give up on me, Jesus. Please don't give up on me. Because there are days where I don't want to pick up that cross. There are days where I don't want to struggle. There are days that I don't want to suffer to do the right thing. But Jesus works with me on those days. And he gives me that second, that third, that fourth touch of grace to help me become what I need to become. And help me to learn self-denial and surrender and sacrifice. If you think that following Jesus is all comfort, then you've missed the Gospels. You think Jesus, following Jesus in this life here, means the happily ever after in the here and now, then you've missed the Gospels. In the here and now, it's about the cross. It's about surrender. It's about sacrifice. It's about making tough choices to follow Jesus. Take a look at this. Jesus, I am so excited today. It's like I woke up and thought, today is the day to get working for Jesus. Kat, I'm so excited to find someone who's ready to take action and get things done. Oh, man, I am that girl. Exactly. Yeah. I've got something perfect for you, so let's get started. What are you doing? Uh, stand up. Remember, we were going to take action. Yeah, but this is where I always sit. Right, but I need more than this. Oh, I know what you're getting at. Okay, Jesus, how much do you want? Fifty dollars? Is that enough? Oh, uh, that's not what I meant. Oh, uh, all right. Well, a hundred then. You know, you drive a hard bargain. Oh, okay, um, but um, you might not want to catch this next Friday. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, really. I do think it's great that you want to give, but I want you to mentor a younger woman. Ooh, yeah, right. Well, Jesus, you know, I'm not really into, like, teaching people and stuff. I mean, I'm not, I don't really get into that. Okay, um, you know that woman at the office, Amy? Yeah. I want you to take her out to lunch. Tell her about it. Um, <laughs> Amy is different. I mean, like, really different, you know? I know, but she needs to know about it. And I can tell people at the church to call her. I mean, they get paid to do things like that. I want you to do that. Jesus, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. No, Kat. The problem is, you're too comfortable. Jesus dropping the mic right there. <laughs> Problem is, you're too comfortable. And if we're not careful in our lives, that's what discipleship becomes. It becomes comfort. We get in our easy chair, pull up the nice soft blanket, the magic popcorn comfort food appears in front of us. And we don't rise to the challenge of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I just want us to understand there is no discipleship without a cross. Every day we have to make choices to deny self. Do you have comfy chair discipleship or do you have cross discipleship? There's nothing comfortable about following Jesus. There's nothing comfortable about the cross. The cross implies suffering. It implies sacrifice. 
To follow Jesus, we must be willing to give up our comfort there and, and to give up our desires in order to follow him. It's natural and easy to settle into a comfortable discipleship. But the problem is, is that's not what Jesus calls for. We've got to make sure that in our movement of churches, you've got to make sure that in the church here, that you're just not settling for a comfortable discipleship. But instead, we're challenging each other to be out of ourselves, to sacrifice, to surrender, to deny self in order to be like Jesus and to help the people, the world around us and to change. You know, movements become monuments. And the way movements become monuments is when we get comfortable with things and we stop challenging each other. So it's so important to keep going back to Jesus. That's why it's important to keep Christ in front of us. That's why it's important to keep the cross in front of us. That's why it's important to keep going back to the Gospels. Because you can't go to the Gospels without being challenged. You can't look at the life of Jesus without being challenged. So I want to just encourage all of us. Let's keep looking at Jesus. And let's understand if we're going to call ourselves disciples then that implies we're taking up the cross and following him. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm very grateful uh, to God that uh, his word has always been